0: There were palm trees on wish were
1: palm trees. Welcome to the 495 Podcast. I'm your host, Michael White from Greater Long Island Media Group. And I'm Nick Esposito, and that's Benny in the background brewing some coffee. That's Benny brewing coffee. Um, here at the 495, we, uh, we sit with local people, Long Islanders, Suffolk, Nassau County residents. We like to say real people doing real things. And today we have a great guest... A real person doing a very real thing, att- attacking a very real problem, uh, and that is um, Nicole Keller of Long Island Safer Bars Initiative. Here from The Retreat, correct? Correct. The Retreat is a non that's based where?
2: In East Hampton, uh, Riverhead, and Hop Hog.
1: And what does The Retreat do?
2: The Retreat is a domestic violence agency. Um, we have core services for uh, victim advocacy, counseling, um, a shelter in East Hampton. Um, a case manager that works with victims and we also have attorneys on staff to help our victims and we also have a wide array of prevention programs for sexual violence prevention, domestic violence prevention, as well as we have a fatherhood initiative that works with at-risk dads. And lastly we have a SHARP program that works with men who have already been convicted uh, of committing violence with With their
0: intimate partner, about uh, was it about a month or two ago? We spoke on the phone, and you kind of you know told me a little bit about the project, uh, your initiative, because you uh,
1: you wrote about the initiative. Yeah,
0: yeah, and um, I was amazed to find out. I mean, I didn't know anything like this was going on in the area. To me, it's like to highlight something like that. It's awesome, but at the same time, it's like how do more people not know about these initiatives?
1: So um, through the retreat, in partnership with Long Island against domestic violence yep. um, you were part of a team that launched and you're the lead correct mm-hmm. um, what's called Long Island safer bars initiative and uh, and sorry to backtrack I just want the listener to to be informed and when did that start and what what do you guys do
2: and um, so the project started I want to say a year and a half ago it was, we got the idea um, this initiative is happening across the state and we were working with foster care kids at the time and we decided that we were going to shift our focus here on Long Island to um, a Saver Bars project like the other regional centers across New York State. Um, and we just started from there and it was slow moving at first and we were able to work with Mayor from that Meeple place and um, work on some branding and things like that, and then we did an event last April for Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and that's when James from Fulton's Gate stepped on and, and began partnering with us, and um, we, we were able to use that event to grow some awareness in the community about the project and what we were doing. And then from then on, we just started networking, going to restaurant coalition meetings talking to people and and doing social media and just trying to get our name out there
0: you debuted this initiative in patch out of all the places on long island why did you you know want to roll it out there
2: um i picked it i felt like you know it was you know it's this up and coming place right i feel like it already has but there's it's grown into such a great place um and it's close to where i grew up so you
1: grew up in center reach i grew up in center reach and uh certainly probably per Capita, there's probably more bars in downtown Patchog than some of the other uh, definitely, downtowns. Right? Definitely yeah. <laughs> not in Centerage,
2: you not in Centerage. Right. But we, we did some mapping of um, of the area, and there's at the time when we did the mapping, there was approximately 52 liquor licenses in the village of Patchog. So um, it fit perfectly with the model that we're using for this project, um, in, in in terms of community level change, so. We were, like patchog it is did you yeah. did
0: you have to um you know look up or analyze you know different like crimes and stuff in there related to you know abuse
2: no because this is primary prevention mm-hmm. um we know statistically it, it's happening in every community in every socioeconomic status so it that wasn't really important to us we just want to work with you know we we know that alcohol uh, in all sexual, sexual assault cases, 50% of the time, alcohol is involved. So we really want to do that primary prevention component and work with bar owners to give them the skills to be able to intervene before something can happen.
1: Yes. Yeah, so t- t- uh, tell us about the initiative.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funded to do the New York State Department of Health. And um, like I said before, it, it's happening across the state. Um, Long Island is regional center one, and um, we are using a public health approach for primary prevention. Um, And what that means is not just using the typical education as a prevention strategy, we're using other strategy as well, um, such as social norms component. We're trying to really focus on the social norms that that perpetrate a culture of violence and and trying to shift those norms um, by education and using media campaigns, using social media. we are using an uh, evidence-based curriculum based out of the University of Arizona, and that is a two-session course that bartenders and servers can participate in, and it's two two and a half hour sessions. We provide free of charge, and we're also, you know, we want to work with the community on policy change to enforce everything that we're doing, so that when we step away in the future and go focus on another community, Petchok can sustain itself. Um, and lastly. Um, we have a media campaign with posters and things like that that reinforces our pro-social pie standard intervention techniques, um, and they're hanging up at Fulton's Gate right now, um, and they will be hanging up at that meatball place soon. Um, and those just came to us from the state recently, so now we're, we have that that extra
1: strategy. Could you talk to us about some of these cultural norms that perpetuate violence?
2: Sure. Victim blaming, we see that a lot. We see a lot of objectification of women through ads, through media, through music. And seeing all that, it teaches our girls and, and boys the normalization of, of sexualized culture. And,
1: and in which ways could you, could us, could just people in their everyday lives combat these type of things?
2: So we focus on consent and, and pro-social bystander intervention um, and using techniques to intervene. So if you see, pretty much if you see something, say something or mm. do something. And we realize, you know, not everybody's confrontational and we'll get in the middle of a fight and stop it. But there are other things you can do, like call 911 or, you know, get somebody that can help you. You know, a lot of people just walk away, and that's the the bystander. Alert the bouncer. Yeah, alert the bouncer, the bartender, you know, anybody.
1: Yeah, just create some awareness in the situation.
2: Mm -hmm. So we're we're teaching um, people to use strategies that they feel comfortable with.
0: When I talked to James from Fulton's Gate and he was telling me, you know, when he, he was the first place to bring in the initiative, right?
2: No, Meatball Place. Oh Meatball Place. Meatball well, they were, they were like, Place was there in the beginning, but Fulton's Gate was the first to become certified.
0: So uh, when I talked to James and he was he told me there was things that I learned that I'd never even thought about. Techniques that were so amazing to him that like he was he was blown away by your presentation. And he's like, been in
1: bars for twenty years. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. How does that kinda you know resonate to you when you you hear the responses from these bar owners like Mike said that's worked in the industry for so long and has never even thought about or even seen these type of techniques
1: used right is it disappointing to learn that these these guys don't really know about this stuff or, or is it satisfying to you know or a little mix of both
2: it's a little mix of both um you know there's this whole norm that like rufinol is like the biggest way to to sexually assault a woman or that's the date rape drug but mm. really it's alcohol mm. um like I said before, the statistic is pretty high for sexual assaults, including alcohol. So I feel like it's a huge component. They should be learning that. It should be mandatory. They should be learning um, if somebody's uncomfortable, what that looks like, body language, or even if someone's asking for help, what to do, they should know how to respond to it.
1: Right. So um, like I said off air, let's give away the store. What, what, what do you teach these, uh, these bartenders and restaurant staffers?
2: So the... The training goes over the scope of sexual violence, what it looks like, the different components of sexual violence, intimate partner violence, excuse me, things like that, um, and then it focuses on uh, New York State liquor laws, and then it also um, talks heavily on how to be a positive, pro-social bystander interventionist. I guess nah. you could say. <laughs> um, and what
1: are type of things that um, that people are
2: being trained to look look out for? Um, Body language is a a big one. Mm -hmm. Um, You see a first date, and, and, you know, maybe she looks uncomfortable and you can respond and say, you know, are you okay? You know, and that might, you know, help. But um, also, too, if if there's that person in a bar that keeps going up to a group of people and it's not stopping, you know, and they keep saying no or, you know, they're turning away from it, that's an indicator excuse mm-hmm. me, an indicator that's that's unwanted.
0: It seems like more and more people are starting to learn more about your initiative because when I was speaking to James too, he said a lot of people come here for first dates because they know they're a safer bar.
2: Mm-hmm. He, he has said that and that to me that, you know, that makes awesome. me really like happy and yeah. I, you know, he is great. He's been really awesome through this process um, and a huge supporter of this program.
1: Yeah, I can imagine if you're out on a date or meeting someone that you met online, um, you'd feel more comfortable at a place like Fortunate because yeah. you feel like everyone's looking out for you. Well,
0: and especially nowadays, and to be blunt, I mean, a lot of these people are meeting through apps mm-hmm. on you know social media or Tinder or Bumble or wh- whatever. And you know, a lot of times, people are meeting for the first time, so um, you can only tell so much, obviously, by a profile on a page or whatever. Right. So you want to go to a place that you feel safe. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it, it totally makes
1: sense to grow this initiative. What's the um? What's where do you guys see yourselves? Uh, you know, toward the end of this year, do you want to be, you know, in every bar in Patchogue and then somewhere else? So, what's what's the immediate goals?
2: Yeah, the so the goal of the program, um, we want to have at least 70 to 75% of the bars. I mean, we would love 100 and mm. but just 70 to 75%. We know
1: restaurant owners, they, yeah, yeah, call me anytime. And, you know, they're very busy. And yeah, they're. they are busy. So if they don't do it, it's probably just because, like, they can't find the time. But, you know, I think that's pretty achievable, 100 I swear.
2: Uh, yeah, I would love to have a hundred. You partnered with
0: the Long Island bartenders, right?
2: One hundred bartenders. hundred. Yep. I'm sorry. Yeah. So Rob has been another great uh, ally in this, and um, he would like to implement into his school, and we're still working on all the details and how that's going to look.
0: Yeah, that's one of the biggest bartending schools, I, th- I believe, on Long Island, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is the headquarters in Sunridge? Selden. Selden. Okay. There's
2: Selden. I know Farmingdale, and then he's got some Nassau locations, in, and there's one or two in Queens. So I'm. Um,
0: we talked a lot about you know making staffers and bartenders aware but what about like the friend that you know you go to all these after five festivals and then you kind of see a friend you know meet a new person or something like that what are some of these people that are friends like what should they be should they be like called the first time they meet people or like you know what, what is the average person should know
1: right it's a fine line right between looking out for your friend who meets someone who they may or may not like yeah. you know versus running interference on something that could be great you know
2: yeah like so like yeah, we're about, a, yeah, yeah. yeah we're just talking about yeah we're just talking. People um, hanging out. Yeah. Like I said, if you see something that mm-hmm. is uncomfortable, like you can—I I mean, I know that when I see somebody and I think they look uncomfortable, you you want to intervene. Like you can tell by body language, you can tell by communication. So, you know, talk. I know, like a lot of girls too, they're like, you know, if you go on a first date, oh, call me or I'll call you right, and I'll right. get you out of it. But you know, set up some sort of safety plan with your friend. You know, yeah. If I say oh, you know, a word or you know, if I look uncomfortable, you know respond to me intervene in a or way or
1: even if i look like i had too much to drink myself yeah. right
2: yep and yeah. and that's the thing too is you know if you over drink you really want to set up that safety plan with your friends so that you get home safe take an right. uber or someone's going to come pick you up that's designated right. and, and you were telling
0: me too when we were talking you know when i interviewed you um you know, there's a misconception or out there that abuse only happens to women mm-hmm. but uh, it kind of goes both ways right
2: it does it does and uh the statistic for men is um I I think it's higher because a lot of men don't report so
1: now with the abuse toward men is it more like domestic existing partnership situations than it is you know being harassed out
2: it's everything yeah I mean have you guys ever been out in a bar and had your you know your butt grabbed and it was unwanted
0: right yeah that's that's on the
2: spectrum of, of sexual violence yeah I think it's more talked about as women That's the norm that it mm-hmm. happens to women But we really need to change that That it happens to everybody And yeah. that's
0: part of
1: those cultural norms you're talking about
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Sometimes I guess people just want to feel like macho about it But it is uncomfortable You know, you're out there at a, a big festival or whatever Or a crowded bar and, you know, Yeah, people it's creepy are up... yeah, It's a little it does.
1: stalkerish feeling
0: I, I don't, I don't want to name names or anything But I remember a buddy was telling me That um, there was this girl that uh, he knew from high school But not really And then she kind of like zoned in on him And he saw her from across the bar and then like he's like you know <laughs> trying to get away from him a little bit because he knew she was like on uh, like on, on his trail and then she just like comes up and like bumps like p- pretends to pick something up in front of him and bumps him all kinds of weird stuff and he's just like yeah, I want to get out of here you know. Yeah so those situations do happen
1: and like you said on the spectrum for sure yeah you know maybe you're not going to be forcibly pulled into an alley as a guy but you know you could certainly be made to feel uncomfortable right so so why did you decide that you wanted
0: to dedicate because this is a lot uh, you know obviously to come up with this initiative implemented it. In, you wanted it in 70 bars and obviously across Long Island but why did you want to get into this whole thing
2: so um, in what was what year was that 2007 I worked in child welfare down in Florida with abused kids so a lot of se- child sexual abuse and sexual assault, uh, family violence. Um, and I just, you know, working in the courts and working in the homes of these families, just I like immediately just knew this is where I was supposed to be in my, in my life. So from then on, um, I had moved from Florida back to New York up to um, the Finger Lakes, which is in the middle of Rochester and Syracuse. And I started working for another not-for-profit, and I was doing prevention work where I was contracted through CPS to prevent placement due to children or parents' behavior, sometimes both. And I'd go in there intensively and, and work on behavioral change and, and, and of course, using trauma-informed responses because a lot of trauma was happening in these families. Um, and then after that, I went into to work at a child advocacy center. S- excuse me. Child Advocacy Center um, in the Finger Lakes and I was a victim advocate and worked a part of the investigative team for uh, responding to child sexual abuse and I also did the community prevention and awareness for child sexual abuse um, and then after that I moved back to Long Island and I was hired by the retreat to be the project coordinator for this grant and, and here, here I am <laughs>
1: <laughs> now they say in in, in police work uh, some of the most dangerous things a police officer could do Uh, for one traffic stops and two are domestic violence calls you know Mm -hmm. Um, when you visited these houses did you know were you ever scared of feeling safe? how's that how's that work how how do you be protected
2: Um, it's funny we we were trained in some self defense stuff upstate, and uh, a, cop, a, <laughs> a, co- a cop a cop tra- a cop trained us, and he's like, you know, you guys are going into the same houses. I have a tool belt, and you have a pencil, <laughs> right? And I, you know, I think it's just um, the way you approach people. You know, like I had cases where we were told not to go in unless there was a cop with you, and I said absolutely not. I'm I mean. not doing that. that's not appropriate practices, and you know that's gonna just make them mad and make them not wanna work with me.
1: You're scared so, of the children
2: so yeah, you can i mean I so I would go in and just get down to their level, you know. Meet them where they're at. Mm-hmm. How can I help you? How can we make the situation better?
0: Does like ha- you know, having a cop in a presence sometimes—not that it scares the you know the, the victims or anything like that—but does it make it feel a little bit more comfortable compared to it just being you and talking to them and you know trying to figure things out?
2: Yeah, like from a from that perspective, like when you're trying to go in there and help them and prevent something from happening, whether it's placement or, or continued services, you really want to do it. Um, organically, you want to mm-hmm. meet them. Like I said, I think build a relationship, build one. a rapport. It'd be you know, part of the team.
1: Mutual goals.
2: Mm-hmm. Help them identify what are your goals, what are your strengths. How do we build off that?
1: Yeah.
0: And a lot of you know our audience is these different restaurants and businesses and uh, bars and breweries. We write about all of them, and they they always keep up to date with us. For them to bring in this initiative, there's no cost to that.
2: Nope, it's completely free.
0: And how could they do it? Uh, they have to take different classes, like get a little bit more into, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, the, the, what's involved, how much time. Yeah, exactly.
2: So, um, the like I said, the, the course is two, two-and-a-half-hour sessions, mm-hmm. um, which is provided for free. In order to become certified, we ask that 70% of your staff is trained. Um, And then once 70% of their staff is trained, then they would get um, the sticker and decal for the window. So if you go to Fulton's Gate, you'll see, you know, some of the marketing on their window that that symbolizes the community that they are certified and they are a safer bar. Um, And then after that, you know, we provide consultation, um, environmental scans. You know, maybe some bars have like a dark hidden spot, like maybe they can put a light there or maybe they can put a camera there or, you know. Um, Just trying Mm. to make the environment safer. Um, Those are the
1: things that you could identify?
2: Yep. And then we also, like I said, have the posters and the media campaign that they can hang up in their their establishment. Um, And then I know Tara and I, we like to give a lot of the bars that participate, like a lot of, you know— Business, yeah. Well, on mm-hmm. you know, on social media, you know, <laughs> we're like, plot, well, skate, you know, sure. yeah. yeah. You know, we wanna that we helps. wanna showcase to the community that they're partners with and they're allies to us, and that they've participated. And they're and, looking out for people, so they and get they, a they, little,
1: they get a little marketing boost yeah. out of it too. Yeah, it's great, really. Yep. And if they're taking the time and paying their staffs to do this, it's nice. Uh, yeah. To uh, help them out in and, that way too. And
2: the end goal is, um, we really the policy change is a huge piece of all this. Because we can go out there and train every bar today and without that policy on the on like the town level and the bar level, then we're not going to sustain this. So the the bars really need to be on top of that on tra- new staff coming in because there is right. a turnover. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say
1: fifty so. percent. Something like that in that industry within a few months. Yeah,
2: so implementing a policy in their handbook that, you know, all staff have to take this training.
0: Have you, um, you know, reached out to, uh, you know, local legislators, politicians to maybe, you know, make a requirement out there that all these bars and restaurants should require an initiative like this to come in and train them? Is that something that's in the pipeline?
2: Not yet, but uh, it's definitely on my list.
1: (laughs) Um, I'm just picturing your list Legislation <laughs> <laughs> Change <laughs> um, the world <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> No it's amazing I mean um, It's probably one of those things Where You know After doing this For a year and a half You probably say to yourself if you prevented Just one sexual assault And mm-hmm. you've done your job And you have a lot to Be proud of And, and satisfied with um, Obviously you're shooting For more than that But you know That's that's kind of Kind of happens With all these things If you could prevent one One at risk kid From you know Having trouble or one overdose, then you, then mm-hmm. you've made a positive contribution yeah. to Have our you, community.
0: <clears throat> Have you gotten feedback like that from uh, certain people?
2: James has given us most of our feedback, so that's good, and we hope that continues to grow as we get into more places. And what does that mean to you? Great, you know, it's being in this field is sometimes not always happy, especially yeah. when you're working on the front lines, and um, so anything positive in my career is. What is you know a really good day
1: <laughs> how do you manage i mean you've been doing this for over a decade uh how do you manage all that sort of um well that you know i mean you see people at their very worst uh, how do you you know deal with that cope with that they must train you guys too as well so you don't fall into depression or things mm-hmm.
2: like that yeah vicarious trauma right right exactly yeah um well i cook and bake that's mm-hmm. like my biggest coping Meditation. skill um Meditation, I've tried. I like it if it's guided, but I can't do it on my own. I only mention that just because
1: <laughs> cooking, baking, these are, you know, kind of forms of meditation. Yeah, yeah. You can just sort of lose yourself. So,
2: I, yeah. And when I lived upstate, I had a cupcake business and oh, that's awesome. I was doing that stuff. Now I don't have time with, you know, my kid's schedule and things like that. So I just do it for friends and myself and, you know, and then I give it away because if I don't, I'm going to eat it all. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> now, do you guys get trained or do you just get thrown to the wolves and, and so to speak and and have to learn how to manage our own stress and, tra- and vicarious um, traumas.
2: For, like, for just vicarious yeah. trauma or just for the role in general?
1: Well, I guess, the, the, and not to make it about me, but I, I remember when I was working for the New York Post, I did a ton of you know what we would call death knocks. You know, Someone would get horribly murdered and I'm supposed to be talking to the guy's mom the next morning. One day I did four death knocks in four different boroughs in one day. Eventually I was waking up with stomach aches and wasn't exactly sure why, but the New York Post doesn't say, hey, this is going to be a traumatic thing they just you know get the story you know and mm-hmm. and uh and start again tomorrow uh, and then I start to realize that it was taking a bit of a toll on me um uh you know obviously in the news industry there's not you know there's nothing set up to to deal with these things or manage these things or I didn't know if in your industry in in social work in general if if, if you guys sort of get Tips and tricks of mm-hmm. how to manage this type of stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah. Every agency that i worked for has, has discussed it. They discuss it at conferences that I go to. Um, and my agency is really good. We just had a self care day last month and we did yoga and Reiki and it was great. So they try to do nice things for us.
1: Self care. Mm-hmm. Self care. Gotcha.
2: Self care days. So.
1: No, no. It's, I just think about this all the time. I mean, you know, people that work, you know, you, you, you do a lot of, Nick writes a lot of stories out of the um, children's hospital and Stony Brook, and like you know, these these souls—how do they deal with seeing this stuff every day? Yeah. You know,
2: a big thing is not bringing it home. Mm-hmm. You know, this job's a little easier because I'm not dealing with specific cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but back in the day, you just really got to leave it at the door. You can't, you can't bring it home. In this job, it's more people ask me my opinion on a certain issue that's going on, in, you know, the news or whatnot. Yeah. And then um, now I've learned to not really get involved out of work hours. Cause gotcha. I need to not work. You need to turn it off and take care of yourself. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, it's amazing. Just, uh, not, I'm not building on the topic, but I was thinking on the drive over here, I was probably in my twenties when I fully realized how different it is for men and women. For the most part, I mean, you guys, there's always a bit of an element of, you know, leaving the gym at night jogging, you know, there's always this element of fear that you guys have to live with that we really don't. I think it's hard for men to understand what that's like.
2: Yeah, I mean, we talk about that in some of our trainings. Like, that's a privilege that men have. And great exercise that, that we use is, um, particularly my coworker Julie does this at the college campus. She asks men in the room, uh, what do you do every day to prevent yourself from being sexually assaulted? And they're all, like, scratching their heads. Every and day. Looking yeah. at each other, like, what's going on? <laughs> um, and then she asks the women in the room, and there's, like, 50 hands up, you know. And the men are just amazed at all the things that we have to do all the time that we think about that you don't.
0: So true, my girlfriend refuses to go out to shopping, grocery shopping, when it's night of time. Yeah. Like I literally would have to go with there. I mean, cause there's been cases that are reported, um, you know, there's places by me, that people share these stories on social media. Hey, this person was following me to my car, mm-hmm. I got scared. Or they were following me around the, the store, you know, it's real.
1: Yeah, it's real and um, uh, and it puts people in a position where like you had said, if you drank too much, and um, you're looking to protect yourself, you know, by taking a taxi home, you, you're also running the risk of the of, taxi uh, driver. Of the taxi driver, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, and that then was you just have to st- like take your own.
0: story on uh, Uber or a Lyft right. driver just mm-hmm. did that. Yeah.
1: And yeah, so now you're choosing between, you know, two bad options: driving drunk or risking sexual assault. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but uh, yeah, like I said, no, just just constantly living with that sort of thing, like you said, what do you do every day to prevent? You know, that's something that men probably have a hard time even understanding. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, you know, for, are there other similar um, initiatives, you know, around Long Island, awareness, things that you could speak of, recommend to people? or
2: um, Sure. I mean, I manage uh, the SHAPE project. Um, it's using the same public health model, but we're doing this type of work with Kids eight to twenty, or eight to eighteen, rather, because they're in high school, middle school, and some elementary school, Um, and out in Hampton Bays, we're using the library as the hub of the community, because they can provide free services and they can provide free educational courses. So, like I said before, sustainability is a huge, huge huge, component for these projects. So I've been working really closely with the library, and they've been getting trained in all the evidence-based curriculum. I've been teaching them about the public health model, and we have grown that that product's about a year old so we're still like in our baby steps stages Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. um it's it's growing and we'll be working on uh surveying kids and doing focus groups next next year you know in a couple weeks
1: awesome (laughs) awesome now what about in the schools like you know just speaking in girls i know over the years and or seeing posts on facebook um a lot of women report similar incidences when they're like 11 and they start to grow into their bodies and all of a sudden they're getting catcalled and and it's pretty traumatizing and something they didn't expect. Do you think the schools are... Like at what point do they start educating females about, uh, about these type of activities and to prepare for it basically?
2: Well, I think that the education should be for males and females um, mm-hmm. or whatever gender you identify with, um, but... Nine is the average age for children Mm -hmm. to be sexually assaulted for child sexual abuse. So Mm -hmm. um, I talk to my kids at eight about things that people probably wouldn't, but Mm -hmm. I recommend the earlier, the better. Great. Um, And there are ways that you can talk to kids that are age appropriate. It's not going to freak them out. Just by giving them their correct body parts, you Mm -hmm. know, teaching them about consent. Mm -hmm. But not in a sexual way. Like my little one pokes the other one. And I'm like, he he just said, no, you need to stop. You know, just implementing that all the time. Teaching them about boundaries, you Mm -hmm. know. And then every year you grow off that. So you're laying the foundation for when they're older. Then you can start to really bring in the other components.
1: Perfect. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. When you said you may speak to your 8-year-old in ways that other moms and dads wouldn't what what do you tell your eight-year-old
2: my well, my eight-year-old already had the sex talk mm-hmm. um one of the curriculums that i use called darkness to light you mm-hmm. know it recommends talking to your kids at eight eight is great Eight mm-hmm. talk to them at eight about sex so me and dominic have had the sex talk and we continue to have the sex talk um mm-hmm. and he actually took it way better than you know i was a little <laughs> nervous but sure. he uh, he was like oh okay he was like what goes in where (laughs) and i was like you know explain it to him and he's like that's gross mom
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's probably better at eight than third like if you prolong it until they're 13 at that point they feel like they know everything they just want to shut you down and and they don't hear that advice that you might be giving them um what could what could parents tell a uh a young kid about how to protect themselves and how to manage someone whistling at them from a car and things like that you know
2: what do you mean like when they're older like yeah well teens?
1: yeah well no um you know what could you know i have a daughter what could i and a son what could i as a parent when they're eight nine tell them to help help them sort of protect themselves and, and be aware and be street smart so to speak
2: and streets oh, okay so you're going back to like the stranger danger mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. without because i had written and this is actually a cool conversation i'd read some stuff like in the 2000s about how in the 80s it was all about stranger danger and it kind of created this culture where everyone's walking around afraid to to ingratiate themselves Talk to, to anybody people. exactly um the pendulum swung in such a way where it's like you got to be scared of everyone you see is that, what What are people telling their parents nowadays about, their um, kids nowadays about strangers? and
2: So that stranger danger thing, yeah, it happens, but it's like less than 8% of, most of the time, I believe it's around 90% of the time, it's someone the child knows. Mm-hmm. Even in, in rape and sexual assault, later in life, it is somebody that you know. Um, and then 60% of the time with children, child sexual abuse, it's someone they trust. So. That stranger danger thing that we were taught needs mm-hmm. to. I mean, we still need to talk about it a mm-hmm. little bit, but we really need to focus on the other components: um, personal body safety, teaching our kids what our private parts actually are, what you know, what they do, um, consent, things like that. Leaving that space for them. If you, if you're experiencing anything that makes you feel uncomfortable, please come talk to me. You know, and we'll take care of it together. Um,
0: just to jump in um, so you know college campuses seem like to be a breeding ground for all kinds of uh, you know sexual abuse on both sides obviously but um, you know just to bring it you know from your perspective I mean that's like one of the first spots where you know alcohol starts to get introduced I mean you know there's a mixture of 21-year-olds with 20-year-olds, and so what is that dynamic like? I mean, do you guys go to different college campuses and try and discuss these different issues at the colleges?
2: Mm-hmm. Actually, um, my colleague Julie Goble is the enough is enough coordinator for Farmingdale State College, um, and she—that's another grant from the New York State Department of Health, but it's also legislation that was passed that. College campuses are mandated to have sexual violence prevention. So she goes there and she does pretty much all the work that I'm doing in the bars and the schools. She's doing with college campuses. So she's talking to them about consent. She's talking them about about Title IX. She's talking to them about bystander intervention. Um, and we coordinate when we can. Um, our grants are very different, um, but I think that we'll be able to coordinate more when I get into Farmingdale, and we have that overlap in population.
0: So has she gone to a bunch of different colleges in the island itself? I know of Farmingdale, but does you like go to like St. Joe's or Stony Brook or Hofstra?
2: Each each campus has enough as enough coordinator employed oh. by an you know not for profit. Um, there's there's one on on each campus, and then the same in Nassau too, and that's across the state for New York.
1: It, you know, talked about cultural norms and objectification of women. Do you see that getting better or worse in this country, uh, or just do? Is this something that's ever going to change?
2: I don't, I mean, I hope so. I mean, if you look at, I recently just did a training and they were showing us ads of um, of like real Belvedere wine, American apparel. And then next to it was porn. And we had to pick out which was porn and which wasn't. Mm -hmm. And we always picked the wrong one. The ads are more, are just as bad as porn.
1: And then with Um, social media, you see these girls basically objectifying themselves. As soon as they're 16 to 17, they're. You know, f- you know, you see followers, still. or whatever. yeah, and then it becomes like a, you know, like a swimsuit issue of Sports Illustrated mm-hmm. with a teenager. You know, yeah. How did how? What what could you do to combat this stuff? It's <laughs> a tough question. It's a know? really hard question.
2: You know, I think if we knew the answer to that question, We'd have to figure <laughs> it out. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Um, I I don't know.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, I think that's it's gonna take more than what's happening now you know it needs to start somewhere those those norms need those social norms changes needs to start somewhere in communities and hopefully it builds and builds and builds yeah. but um, Yeah, I mean it's kinda like
0: I mean, social media you know obviously took the planet by storm and there's no regulations and there's no especially when I was going through high school I mean my parents didn't even know what social media was because it was such a new thing yeah and then you just start there's like this freedom to post whatever there's really no monitoring but now it's like, you know, as my generation or, you know, my brother's generation is a couple years older than me, you know what social media is about. So you can kind of direct your kids and what not to post and how to be aware because there's there's predators all over the place. And mm-hmm. it, it doesn't always start at a bar. I mean, it's It could be a fellow
1: 15 year old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it could yeah. start
0: on social media. It could be like someone commenting, you know, something nice or whatever. And then it yeah. kind of
1: leads into something weird and crazy. Yeah. yeah. As a, you know, as a, I have a little one, but as a dad, I'm like, what do I say when that first sort of. Sexual racy picture goes up on Instagram when my kid's sixteen. You know what the heck do I tell them? You yeah. know, do I say they're looking for trouble? Is that blaming the victim type yeah, of stuff? Like what I do you mean, say?
2: That's like a line too, because you know, women if if they're comfortable and it's their choice, that's like, and like they, empowering. Yeah, and they yeah. want, and that's the way they want to dress, and that's when they want to do. Then they should be allowed to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the problem is in in the ads and the media. You know the music and, you know, calling women, excuse my language, yeah. bitches and, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it normalizes violence against women. And the, and then the ads, too, it's it's objectifying women, and then these girls are learning, well, you know, I want to look like her, I want to be like her, so yeah. they model that out. Um, and then, the la- I, forgot, I totally forgot the last thing I was going to say, but...
1: I feel like music has gotten better from the 90s and 2000s, And so when I do hear, you know, a sort of, you know, pejorative comment about females and women, I I feel like it's a little, I feel like I I hear it less in, in, in popular music than I did 10 years ago. Would you agree with that? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like it's, yeah, when I do hear something, oh, okay, that's a little aggressive, you know, whereas, uh, you know, I feel like 10 years ago was more common. I mean, there. Uh, there this are, is non-scientific. You yeah. listening <laughs> to BLR.
0: Yeah, so to say, where do you get your source yeah. of music? Because there are a lot of these, uh, you know, you know, up-and-coming rappers and these mumble rappers that people like to talk about, and it's just like these kids talking about, you know, doing bad things yeah. and doing bad things to other people, and including girls and objectifying them and calling them bitches mm-hmm. and whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't know just not not to hop in like I'm the expert. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I I, I just wondering
1: if you if, if you guys thought it was getting better in that respect or not or worse.
2: Um I I think it's it's all getting worse. I mean, look at look at the like the porn from the 1950s. That was Marilyn Monroe and her, and her pin-up and that was <laughs> right. so taboo, right? Yeah. Now our ads are way worse than that,
1: you know. Yeah. Just regular ads you see on TV. Yeah, yeah.
2: and then the porn now is just it's so violent and our kids are going on with their iPhones and they're learning so accessible too it's so accessible and they're learning kids would
1: never see you know until probably later in life
2: well no I mean our kids are oh yeah and back and later in life uh back in the day but now they have access to it and the porn is free it's accessible and it's extremely violent and that's teaching our kids that it's okay to be violent towards women so it's normalizing that them and I, I've worked with teen boys um, and did some group work with them, and they agreed. They're like, you know, it is violent. And they, you know, a lot of the boys, after teaching them that, they were like, Mystical, like, we're not going to give up porn, but we won't watch violent porn. And I was like, Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'll take it. Yeah, so, um,
1: okay, so it's a hard thing to talk about though with kids, you know.
2: I'm yeah. comfortable. <laughs> yeah, which is which is great yeah.
1: that we have Nicole here to sort of you know a lot of a big uh, our demographic includes you know probably people mainly in their mid 30s to you know late 40s. Yeah, I you mean, I talk ha- p- parents that have kids that are in middle school age or a or little after a little before. So it's good to have you on, and I hope anyone listening to this can can take away some some thoughts and ideas. Uh, on a parenting front and what they could say mm-hmm. to their kids. Yeah, because,
0: like, you know, my mom, you know, I'm 24 years old. And I mean, you she, have
1: to have the sex talk. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, honestly. I mean, my mom would do everything she could to not talk about anything yeah, yeah. Re- related to sex. Or oh, yeah, my
1: thing. mom pretends it doesn't yeah. happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so it's great to have people like you that are, you know, on the front lines talking about this issue because it's something that a lot of people don't want to talk about because mm-hmm. uh, it's a hard topic and, you know, you get into all different, you know, opinions on what to do and what not to do. And sometimes it's easier to not say or do anything because you just blow it off. And like, you know, we have different parents or whatever. Mm -hmm. Just like, just ignore the thing because they think it's not happening, even though they know it's happening.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think there's a generation of parents who grew up where sex was really stigmatized almost in a way of leading kids to believe that it's something awful, you know, and dirty and something to feel Terrible about right, and right. like that's not great either.
2: No, no. We um, when I teach, talk to parents, it's sex positive. You know, we don't want to shame them. Yeah. You know, if you know we had like parents, oh, you know, my kids at a young age are touching themselves, and I'm like, okay, you know, like that's a normal part of development. Most of the time, send them to the bathroom.
1: Don't f- make them feel them, weird.
2: Yeah, like s- close the door, teach them boundaries. Yeah. You know, let them explore and and, then, and don't chain them for it, but you know give them the tools to do it appropriately you know right, right. so
0: so where can people uh, you know people that listen to this and where could they find out more information where can they contact you if they may have further questions yeah some
1: literature resources online
2: yeah um, we're on uh, Facebook for Long Island Safer Bars um, and uh, Instagram is Long Island Safer Bars but it's li underscore safer underscore bars my I'll give my office number is 631-761-8518 if you want more information on safer bars or shape which is a school project out in hampton Bays.
1: so if i'm a bar owner in port chaff or Bayshore or selden um and i'm hearing this and i want to get i want to i want to be trained and certified is that okay, or are you just strictly staying in Patchogue until you move to the next geographical area?
2: We are focusing right now. As part of the, the public health model that we're using mm-hmm. um, for community-level change, we're focusing on a community at, the, at one time. So okay. the idea is to saturate the community Makes with sense. prevention strategies, um, get them to a place where they are sustainable, and then I'll move into another community.
1: So are you operating just within the village of Patchogue? Am I, was I too far from the mic this whole time? No, all we'll of um, like, we'll Or one Patrick. one seven seven. Yeah. 7 to kind of zip code.
2: Yeah, we're focusing like we we started focusing on Main Street, but I know um, there are some bars down in 112 that we would definitely still Okay, work great. With. And, um, if, and even like the or you know the 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 River Yeah, yeah, yep.
1: So, if someone called you from out of the coverage area you know don't be offended if you know you can't go i mean you have a you have a system in place
2: right yeah. and and even some bars have reached out from different towns and and i put them on a list because we really do want to get to everybody and we want to get to a place where we can
1: yeah and if you have so. a list of x amount of bars from one town maybe that's the next one you go into right yep okay this was an awesome experience to talk
0: about it get this all out in the open let people know what's going on in the area and it's great having you here and want to thank
1: you yeah Yeah, nicole was there anything else you wanted to add (laughs) anything we didn't touch on that we should have you know you're gonna think about it on the drive home
2: you know this this subject is so there's just so much to say you know 40 minutes is you know it's a great it's a great time slot but you know i could go on (laughs) forever
1: (laughs) maybe we'll have you back on again (laughs) all right Make a list of things we forgot to mention. Okay.
2: <laughs> All
1: right. Well, thank you so much for this uh, episode of the 495 through greaterlongisland.com. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, BeanPod. <laughs> Podbean. Podbean. I would <laughs> screw that up. Or you can go to uh, any of the uh, Greater Patrick, Greater Bay Show, Greater Babylon, Greater Port Jeff websites and find our podcast link. At the and, top um, of the page. Top of the page. Yeah. Real, real people doing real things and making them positive uh, contributions to our community and certainly uh, Nicole Keller here is, is one of those people. So thank you so much for for taking the time.
2: Thank you for having me. strongest that I've ever felt before in my current state and in these days of war. We must grow together or the end is near. Thicken up your skin and loosening up your fears. I've been waiting, reading through my limitations, choosing to move.